If you've never felt the thrill of forgetting about yourself because you are loved by someone else, or if you are always the one who didn't get chosen in pickup basketball, then you need to at least listen for a few minutes to the Apostle Paul's exuberant adoration of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You might discover that you are not left out in the cold after all. Welcome to Truth Encounter. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, is teaching from Ephesians 1, 3-10. Let's discover some of the realities that make God's grace so amazing. My friends came to me, and uh, they were talking really to Mary and I both, and they were sharing that they had a lifelong dream just all their life. They had heard these stories, uh, these really incredible adventuresome stories about how we built the Panama Canal, how the French built the Panama Canal, and uh, the French tried, and malaria, yellow fever, I think it was, and all kinds of jungle diseases just destroyed the project. Eventually, the American engineers came in, and they debated whether or not to cut a canal through Mexico. Eventually, they decided to start up again where the French had attempted it to go across that little piece of land that at that time in history was very strategic because it would save just thousands upon thousands of miles for shipping. You'd be able to just go right across. My friend told me how they just all their life wanted to go through that Panama Canal. And to be honest with you, it's something that never even crossed my mind. Uh, Fred Cotton is a very close friend uh, with his wife Jackie of Mary and myself, worked for my dad at Word of Life, and he was the director of the Panama Canal. So he used to spin these stories. He grew up down in the Panama Canal Zone, and I would sit there and listen to all these stories about the fishing and the incredible engineering feat and what it was like day by day. But to be honest with you, I didn't think much about it. But my friend said that all of his life, he always wanted to go through the Panama Canal and that he was going to start out in San Francisco and he's going to sail down in the coast and go to several different cities. And then he's going to go through the Panama Canal. He's going to end up in Jamaica. And then he was going to fly home. He's going to do this. And then he said something incredible. He said, that I want you and Mary to go with us. He said, we've pre-planned this and we've chosen you. We want you to do this. This fellow is a friend of ours. He's the president of a company. He says, I want you to go with us. I've chosen you, and I've pre-planned it. It's predetermined. You can look. You can go on the Internet. He said, Mary, you know, you're the skeptic in the group. Go check it out on the Internet. You can check out this cruise line. You can check out all these places. He said, I want you to go with us. And he said, the bill has been paid. It's going to be free. The bill has been paid. And he said, your airline ticket is in the mail. And so I go, wow, you know, that's incredible. Now, I've got to make some choices at that point. First of all, I had to clear it, you know, with our elders and deacons and make sure they, you know, work it out and work it out with the staff. And you say, well, Dave, you know, and, and even telling you this this morning, I want to share with you all different things. There's reactions that some of you have. Some of you in the audience react the way I react. Well, why didn't I have that happen to me? That's one of the reactions. Another reaction that I have, like, to be honest with you, even telling you this morning, and the only reason I'm telling you it's a great way to illustrate a very important point in Scripture about choice and about predetermination, about paying the bill, and about down payments. But to be honest with you, one of the things that I do as I've shared with my friends about this and I had to share with the leaders and share with our staff, what I've always thrown in there, this is a reward because we've worked at Midlothian Bible Church for 30 years. And we've worked hard, so we deserve a rest. And I always throw that in with my friends. Now, there's a reason why I do that. Because that makes it legitimate. Then I can do it. Because I worked hard, and I performed, and so I deserve a break today. 
and not just a Coke to do that. So that legitimizes, all right? I hope you're identifying with those kind of feelings. You all have them. Some of you have a reaction, wow, that's awesome. I'm so thrilled with that. David Murray can do that. Some of the rest of you will say, man, I can't believe they get that. And, and, and they don't work nearly hard enough. After all, the pastor only works one day a week and all those kind of things, all those different reactions. What that is, is grace. My friend gave a gift of grace. You know, a trip through the Panama Canal is going to be here today and it's going to be gone tomorrow. But I want to share with you, because some of you that feel like, well, why wasn't I chosen? The trip that I want to talk about going on, that I want to be sure that every single one of you go on, makes any cruise, any trip to Disneyland, any trip to Australia, any trip around the world, you just imagine your most incredible trout fishing trip up to Montana or to go hunting in North Dakota like Sam is in a few weeks. Just take the most wondrous trip you can imagine. And that's the trip that God has designed for every one of you. And you're not going to get there because you've earned it. And you're not going to get there because you work hard for it. But it's because of this amazing thing that we call grace. This morning I want to talk to you about a word that's become a dirty word in our culture. It's the word predestination. Predestination. What does it conjure up in our mind? You mentioned predestination. And if I mention like at a university classroom, the very first thing that it conjures up is the Puritans and their black broad-rimmed hats, their black coats. And it pictures these people that believe that God has predetermined that some people will be saved and some people will be lost. And basically the saved are the Puritans. And that's basically the caricature. And then everybody gets mad because that's unfair. How many of you have ever wondered, man, this is unfair. That's one reaction. Another reaction is that in Islamic thinking, the idea is that Allah has determined, Allah has said, this is the way it will be. Allah has determined. It's a set plan. And human responsibility has no part in it. And so, for example, when I was at the, at the pyramids many years ago, Sadat was ruling in Egypt. And a few weeks after we were there, Sadat was killed. And I remember some, some Egyptian friends of ours saying, his security guards try to get him not to go to these places and not to go to, especially out here by the pyramids where it's wide open. But he just ignores it. He says, the will of Allah will be done. So he didn't take precautions. Because he said it's just fate. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So faced with those two alternatives, number one, that it's so exclusive and it it excludes everyone else. And because it's so fatalistic, let's just forget about predestination. Well, I want to share with you this morning as we open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there in Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul talked about predestination. But he doesn't talk about it in a theological classroom. He doesn't argue it philosophically. It's very important for us to understand that the Apostle Paul talks about predestination in a passage of praise, in his passage of blessing his Heavenly Father. And I want every one of you to know that this passage is a praise that you can enter into. Now, the way that I talk to you today is not going to clear up all the different questions about predestination. But my prayer would be today that it would would cause you to enter into the same kind of exhilarating feeling that, that, that was generated in me when my friend said, I want you to go with us. I've chosen you. It's pre planned. The cost has been covered. Here's the ticket. I want you to go. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, the Apostle Paul just starts to bless his Father in heaven and to bless his son, and to bless the Holy Spirit. Because the Heavenly Father 
has chosen the believers before the beginning of time. And he has pre-planned for them to become part of his family. And second of all, he's going to tell us that the Son of God has made this possible by paying the bill. And finally, the Holy Spirit in the present is in our lives. And he's a whole lot more than an airplane ticket. He's a deposit guaranteeing that you're going to get safely home. Let's begin with verse 3. Look what the Apostle Paul begins to tell us about the, the work of the first person of the Trinity. Now, some of you might feel distant to God the Father and relate much more to God the Son and feel the power of God the Holy Spirit, but I want you to always be adoring and loving and understanding that your Father loves you. It all begins with Him. He's the first person of the Trinity. Look what Paul says about blessing or boasting and speaking well of the Father. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason Paul says, I want to bless him today, I want to honor him today, I want my heart to be filled with thanksgiving to him today, is because he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. The heavenly places refers to the realm where things don't decay. It refers to the realm where things don't wear out, where you don't suddenly find out that your IRS has lost all of its value because the company went bankrupt. It referred to the place that you're not going to suddenly find out when you get to be 65 that all your mutual funds were just halved. The heavenly places is a place where it doesn't rust, where Jesus says it's the place where you need to have your treasure. It's his father's realm. It's his father's kingdom. It's not just a place. It's much more than that. It's a presence with a person. But it is a place. It's where we're going to go. It's where our loved ones in Christ have already gone. It's where if we were to be were to lose our physical life today, if we know Christ as our Savior, we would be in the heavenlies. And the heavenlies impact planet Earth. When Jesus was here on Earth, he said, my kingdom is at hand. And when you saw the blind eyes opened up and you, and you saw Jesus making ears that could hear again, those were the glimpses of what his heavenlies were like. This is what the presence of God is like. This is what the control of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And what Paul makes the incredible claim, if you know Christ as your Savior, you've received the blessings. You've received all the gifts of that heavenly realm. And it's like someone says, all right, Paul, just tell us about some of that. So he begins by talking about the will of God for this entire creation. A question that that Paul answers today is what's history all about? What's the universe all about? And look what he says. He says, first of all, God the Father chose us in him in verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, what does it mean to be chosen? Well, I'd share with you, my friend chose Mary and I. It means you're selected. Not everyone's going to get to go. It means you're chosen out. If you've ever been, like I've often used the illustration, you've ever been left out in a pickup game of basketball, and everybody gets chosen, and you're not chosen. You've all experienced that feeling of exclusion. If you've ever been in a classroom, like an elementary school, and everybody gets a Valentine's card and you don't get one, or there's a Valentine's party and everyone gets invited and you don't get invited, what the word means here is that you have been invited. You have been chosen. You've been selected. You're a heavenly father, and he says he chose you before there was even planet Earth. So if you're a scientist and you're worshiping this creation, and you think this creation can give you all the answers, and you're lost in the wonder of, of the, the infinity of the stars and the universe and the wonder of, of discovering things on Mars, before all the Big Bang, 
Whatever your view of how creation took place, the Bible's saying that your heavenly daddy created the world and the universe. And he's saying, more importantly, you were in his heart. You were selected. You were chosen even before that. And that means that it doesn't depend upon you. It means it's not something you earned. It starts with the heart of God. And one of the things I want you to think about is that as Americans, we think all of reality is about us. We think the world is about us. We think life is about us. And that's why we get angry. You see, one of the things that happens with God, we find out, well, God has things planned out and God's determined things. And, and then you start analyzing your life and you don't like the way God's doing things. You get malignancy instead of a Caribbean cruise. You get children that rebel and turn away instead of children that really obey. And so when life starts not working out the way we want it, because we think that the point of this relationship with God is for things to work out the way we want them to work out. Because everyone's telling us, everything in our culture says life is about us. And you need to think really hard about that this morning because life is not about us. It's about God. And incredibly, it's not about us, it's, but it's about God, but it's about his incredible gift of gracious, unconditional love. So don't get angry. Like, for one thing, like if, you, if you're sitting here today and you hear me say that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, if you're a child of God this morning, what you need to hear in that is, I'm safe. I'm secure. I was selected. My heavenly daddy, I'm in his heart. He loves me. If you haven't come to know Christ yet, don't sit there and go, well, I'm angry. Because I wasn't chosen. Because if you'll believe this morning, if you'll open your heart as I teach you about Jesus, if you'll respond positively to God the Son, the moment you do, you know what? You're going to find out you were chosen before the beginning of time. Because that's the balance of what the Bible teaches you. And the very fact that you get angry at me, and I can join you in that angry because I've had anger against God because I don't like the way he's doing things. The very fact we get angry reveals what's going on in our hearts. It's about us. And the blessed Holy Spirit wants to come into our life and begin to set us free. To set us free from thinking about ourselves and living for ourselves and being selfish about everything and open our hearts that it's about someone else. And the incredible thing is when you find out it's about God and you start opening your heart to his gifts of grace and you get over this merit performance thing and you get over this reward you know, versus curse and all that kind of thing, when you open your heart to his love, you start feeling safe and secure. And that's what I covet for every one of you today. The Bible, first of all, tells us that God has chosen you. In theology, we call it the doctrine of election. It says that in your daddy's heart, if you know Christ as your Savior, you were in his heart before he even created one single bit of matter and energy. You were in his heart. He chose you. When he chose us, that meant that he had to have a plan. And the next thing it says is that he did pre-plan. The word predestined has to do that in the, into the mind of God, God knew it was going to happen. And God was ordaining and he was orchestrating. He was moving what would happen. It doesn't mean that you're a, relieved of responsibility. The Bible makes it really clear that God didn't cause Adam and Eve to sin. And this is a, a very strong tension that you need to maintain in your life. The Bible teaches that God does orchestrate things according to his plan. That's why the Apostle Paul says here, he called us. 
to be holy and blameless. That's the purpose, that we would be like him as his sons and daughters, that we would be holy, which means that we'd be set apart for him and that we would be without blemish, which is a gift that we receive from the Lord. And then that's worked out in our life. Now, in order to accomplish that purpose of selecting us, of choosing us before the creation of the world so that we would be like him in our character, that we would be without any moral blemish, he predestined, he pre-planned, he pre-planned us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ and according to his pleasure and his will. In order to accomplish this choice, he pre-planned that there would come a time in your life where his spirit would come upon you and you would respond and the moment you responded, you would be adopted into his family. And those are beautiful words. Many of you in our church are adopted. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is that a whole lot of you that have been adopted get angry about that. In other words, you find out that your natural parents abandoned you and they released you for some reason, which makes you feel really, really unloved. And it's very powerful forces. And as an adopted kid, you feel like somehow I'm not first rate, I am second rate. Now, in the Roman Empire, to be adopted as a son meant something really, really powerful. What it meant is that your earthly father had to release you. Harold Honer from Dallas Seminary tells us that in order to be adopted in the Roman world, your earthly daddy that you were controlled by, he had the right of your entire life. He could take your life if he wanted to. He had to give you up as a slave. And then... He had to do that twice. He would release you as a slave. He would buy you back, release you as a slave, get you back. And the third time, the third time, according to Roman law, then you would no longer be under the ownership of that father. But now you would come under the ownership of your new father. And the reason you would do this, for example, let's suppose there was a Roman that had great holdings and very powerful merchant, and he had no sons or daughters to take on the inheritance. He would adopt someone that wasn't his blood child, and as soon as they became his child, they would enter into all the rights and privileges, all the blessings, all the inheritance of that new father. And that's what this passage is about. This passage is going to tell us that we are not just sons of God, it tells us that we're sons of the evil one, that we are children of wrath. That's what the phrase the Apostle Paul uses. What it says is our condition is that we are children of wrath, that we are slaves to our sin. And what it's telling us is that the heavenly daddy has reached out to us in love and he has paid the price so that we can be adopted into his family. So rather than the idea being that this adoption thing is a little bit second rate, it is first rate. It means that you have all the rights and privileges of being one of the divine kids, of one of God's children. Now the Bible also uses the the illustration, the analogy, because all this is just symbols we use. The Bible also uses the phrase of being born again, which has the idea that we were dead And then we receive a new life, and it even uses the idea of birth. So one of the images in the New Testament of an adopted child, 
But it also uses the imagery of a, a born child, that we've been born by the work of God. And all those are just analogies to help us to understand the incredible wonder that we have become God's children. What I want you to know, the Apostle Paul's saying is that it was in the heart of God. It was in the mind of God. He was planning it for you to become his legal children with all the rights and privileges of being one of his children. He has pre-planned, predestined. He has predestined us to be adopted as his sons. How did it happen? Through Jesus Christ. Why did it happen? According to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, some of you sit there and go, well, why was I chosen? You automatically start trying to figure out, well, God saw this thing, he saw that thing. And Paul says, no. The whole point of this is when you get to heaven, the angels look at you and they see you as a son and daughter of God. They see you glorified. They see you radiating light. They see you in your character just like God the Son. It's almost more marvelous than anything we could ever imagine. And the angels look at you and go, wow. The Father is so gracious. He is so kind. His love just explodes. Look at the millions of human beings that open their heart to Jesus and forever and ever and ever they're to the praise of the glory of his grace. One of the things I would just cry out is that you would understand that we study these things in dry, sometimes intellectual terms. But I just told you that you're saved forever if you've opened your heart to Christ. Because your salvation depends upon God, not upon you. I just told you that your Heavenly Father's love reached out to you before you were even born, before they were even creation. I just told you that you've received all the legal rights to heaven. You're not just going to be on the outskirts of heaven. You're going to be right at center stage. You're going to be the children of the King. And it's all because of amazing, amazing grace. That's what's amazing about grace. So predestination... And the calling of God should not be words that cause us to curse God or to get angry at God. They should be words that cause us to bless God and to praise God. And once again, I want to stress, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, don't respond to this and say, well, I don't like that. You know, that's not fair. and that's not Because that's not what it's about. God's love wants to come into your heart today. The scripture teaches that you should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this passage goes on and talks about the fact that we need to hear the truth and then we need to believe the truth. So the very fact that you get in this fight with the text and fight with the word of God shows where your heart is. It shows where my heart is. Because I want to turn away from God. That's a result of this. I don't like you, God. I don't like the way you're doing things. But if you'll nestle into God's love, if you'll open your heart and humble yourself and realize it's not about my intellect, it's not about my emotion, not about my will, everything doesn't revolve around me, it revolves around God, you'll start to experience the release from entering into reality the way things really, really are. Now, in order to accomplish this incredible praise to his grace, he had to do something. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gave us in the one he loves. And that introduces the second person of the Trinity. The way that we have, the way that we enter into this adoption as children is through the work of the second person of the Trinity, and his name is Jesus. So our Heavenly Daddy has chosen us, and he's predetermined for us to come into his family. We praise him. That happened before time, before creation. Now we're going to talk about something that happened in time, and that is the redemption that was paid for you. How do we have access to this adopted as children? How did we get into the family? 
And the Apostle Paul tells us, it's because of the Beloved. Jesus is the loved one of the Father. And it says, in Him, verse 7, in the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood. And that redemption through His blood has brought us the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace which he lavished. Paul just, just has to pile words to get across how this grace is just flowing over us. It's abundant in wealth. He's flowing over to us with all wisdom to understand what we're talking about this morning and with understanding. Now, there's really important words in this. It's through Jesus, but Jesus has provided to us redemption. That's the key word I want you to realize about the work of God the Son. Now, you all use the word in banking terms, redemption. Redemption means the day that you pay off your note. You owed someone something. The day of redemption is when you've paid for 50 years on your house and you make the last payment and then you get the redemption, right? You understand that? That's one of the ways we use the word. In the Roman world, they use the word often in terms of slavery. You were born a slave. If you were born a slave, you're going to be a slave all your life. But your master could set you free. He could pay the redemption price and he could set you free. Like he, if you were being sold on a block, a new master could come along and look at you on the block and pay the redemption price to your old master and then set you free. Another way that they became slaves in the Roman Empire is by going in debt, which all of us can identify with, right? And in their culture, they didn't have lenient bankruptcy law. You became a slave. And again, in order not to be a slave, the price had to be paid and you could be set free. And all those kinds of metaphors are tied up in this word redemption. It should be a word that you just cherish in your heart. From the Apostle Paul's vantage point, you used to be under your master Satan. I used to be under my master Satan. I was a slave to them. I was born a slave. I was born a son of Adam. I was born a child of wrath. And that worked itself out in the fact that every day, every one of us have tendencies to express that old way of life. What Jesus is saying in this context, what Paul is telling us about Jesus in this context, is that Jesus saw us as the slaves of Satan, and he paid the redemption price, and the price was his blood. And his blood reminds us of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It reminds us of a violent, sacrificial death. And this is all that's going on. Some of you are sitting here going like, I just don't understand why Jesus had to die. And the New Testament spells it out. For years, the church said, well, it was a payment to Satan. As if God paid something to Satan because he was the old master. And that's not the way the analogy works. The way the analogy works is we have a God that's a God of grace. He's a God of love. But he's also a God of holy justice. Those of you that, are, that have been in a courtroom have been face to face with judges and with justice. And justice demands that a payment be made. The payment needs to be made to satisfy not evil, but good. To satisfy not the criminals, but to satisfy the standard of justice. That's why the Ten Commandments will say, if you take a life, if you murder somebody, the way that justice is satisfied is there needs to be an equal payment, which means that you give your life, your life is sacrificed, and now the blood is covered. That's the principle of justice. It's not an old primitive thing. It's something that was right at the heart of the Old Testament. Like when Cain murdered his brother Abel, 
Abel's blood cried out against Cain. It cried out that Abel's blood be paid for, and what should have happened is Cain should have had his life sacrificed. But instead, God was gracious, and God enabled him to live and put a, a, put a covering over him, where God was showing you that he's not just justice, he's also love. But all the way through the Old Testament, there's this inconsistency, there's this unresolved dilemma, you might say. Because God is not totally judging people for their sin. And he doesn't just strike them with lightning. And when they offer animal sacrifices, he promises to cover. What's all that about? It all points to an incredible mountain and an incredible time where in history, the infinite beloved one, the center of God's heart, God's eternal son that had lived with him before the creation of the world, that eternal son, allowed himself to be hung on the cross of Calvary, and he allowed his side to be pierced and his blood flowed out. He was violently sacrificed and it totally satisfies divine justice. When you take your sin and you take my sin, when you take all the things we've ever done, when you take every evil thought you've ever done, everything you've ever stolen, every immoral thought you've ever had, every arrogant, rebellious thing you've ever thought, done, or said, when you take all the sins of the human race and you put them on one side and say, this is the bill, this is what needs to be paid, this is the expression of being part of Satan's kingdom, and then you put the cross of Jesus Christ and his violent sacrificial death, God in heaven, who's the ultimate judge of the universe, I don't decide this, you don't decide it, but the eternal judge of the universe looks upon the death of this precious son and he says, that covers the bill, that pays the price. There's not one reason in all the world for any of you to suffer for your sin. There's not any reason for you to hit yourself. You've all seen Shiite Muslims smashing their back and cutting their backs and blood flowing. You say, why does that happen? Because it makes you feel good. Sounds horrible, but it does. Some of you have wrestled with those thoughts. When you've done something really bad, you want to hurt yourself. You want to cut yourself. You want to just destroy this wicked thing because you're so wicked. That thought is from hell. There's no need for you to cut your wrist. There's no need for you to shed any of your blood. There's no reason for you to fast until you can't stand up anymore. There's no reason for you as a Muslim to slap your back until your back is raw. Because the Savior has already taken all that suffering for you. Do you hear me? That's the, that's the incredible. The payment has been made. All the justice of God. You don't need to be guilty. You don't need to feel you need to go out and earn his favor. You just need to look at that cross and you need to say, I, I love, I cherish that old rugged cross. Because that's where the payment, my beloved one, God's beloved one, paid it all. That's why all of our songs, look at the cross, he paid it all. Calvary covers it all. That's what Paul is saying, we've received redemption. Now what does that mean? It means you're forgiven. It means this morning as you sit there, you are forgiven. Because the price of your sins has been paid, your heavenly Father accepts the sacrifice of Jesus, and you have been forgiven of your trespasses, of stepping out of line, of stepping over the line, of not living up to God's standards. That's what the word trespass means. It means that your heavenly Father now looks at you as a holy, righteous, blameless child of his own in Christ, because you are intimately connected with Christ, you are his own. And then Paul goes on to say, and it's all to the praise of the glory 
of his grace. Now, the third person of the Trinity gets involved in all of this. Paul says we need wisdom to understand this. And it says in verse 11, we were chosen in him, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will. God works out everything according to his purpose in order that he might be, that we who were the first to hope in Christ, by the way, that's us. Those of you that have hoped in Christ, you're this first fruit of what's going to happen in the plan of God. Those that were the first to hope in Christ might be the prey to the glory of Christ. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Maybe this morning some of you are hearing the word of truth. What I just was explaining about redemption, about forgiveness. Maybe this is your morning to hear the word of truth. You heard, the Ephesians heard that. They heard the word of truth. But they couldn't just hear the word of truth. Some of you have heard the word of truth. You say, Dave, I know what you're talking about. But the next thing the Ephesians did is very important. They heard the word of truth. It says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the good news about your salvation. But then having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is the Apostle Paul telling us? He says that the second person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity gets involved. The first person chose us and predestined us to become his blessed adopted children. Children with all the rights and privileges. And you can rest in that. The second thing that happened is the son in history. The son in history shed his blood for us and made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. The third person of the Trinity makes it happen now. The third person of the Trinity, not just something that happened in history, in history, but it's something that's happening in Dave Wurtz's life right now, and I hope it's happening in your life right now. What it's saying is that what Paul told the Ephesians, there came a time where he walked into their city and he told them this story about this incredible Savior who died for him, who, who, who sacrificed his life. And they heard this incredible good news that there was a gracious, good God that didn't just reward good people and kill bad people. But instead, they told him, Paul told him this incredible story about a loving daddy in heaven that had this great plan. And some of them heard the truth. As Paul talked in the synagogue, some of the Jews heard the truth. Later on, as he talked in the, in the school of Tyrannus, some of those heard the truth. Have you heard the truth? If you have, have you responded to it? Have you believed it? When my friend came to me and said, we want you to go, I could have said, well, I haven't earned it. It's really not fair. Not everybody can go. And I really don't think I can go because, because I just can't work it out. I could refuse them. That's, I can do that. So can you with God. Because the Lord created you with a human being. You're made in his image. I didn't, you know, Mary and I don't have to go. We could say, no, not going to go. We, we could know the truth. Man, the trip is planned. The ticket's there. You can get on the airplane, but you know what? We have to accept it. We need to receive it. We need to trust our friend that he'll come through. We can say, well, I don't think it's going to work out. I think you're going to really mess us up. And at the last minute, I'm going to have to pay the bill completely. And, and I'm just not going to do it. That's what some of you do with God. Because you're totally programmed that if there's an incredible gift of grace then one of your first thoughts is there's got to be a catch here somewhere because you, that's the way you think. It's the way I think. And some of you might be sitting here going, it's too good to be true. It's right, it is, but it's true. It's too good to be true, but it's true. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, you might be 80 years old, you might be 60, you might have cancer that's eating out your internal being, you might have other infections, you might say, man, life has given me not cruises, but it's given me hospital wards. This morning you can still sit there and go, 
My heavenly daddy loves me. I don't understand what's happening in this story right now. But everything's happening according to the praise of the glory of his grace. And I can start to say, well, how can I ever talk about blessing? How can I ever talk about goodness? How can I ever talk about love? I can. I've got a heavenly daddy. That eventually, it's to the praise of the glory of unmerited love. It's going to be okay. Don't let that go. Many modern American believers are saying, well, God doesn't have it all planned. He doesn't know what's happening. It's all an open thing. That's the way God ordained it. That doesn't comfort me one single bit. I don't understand it, but I'm so thankful that I know that a God of gracious, omnipotent power has his hand on my destiny. And that gracious Father says, Dave, relish my love. Be lavished by my grace. Receive my gifts. Don't live by merit. Don't live by performance. But live by my grace. What does it mean for you today? What it means is, if you know Christ as your Savior today, it means praise to the praise of the glory of his grace. And look at this passage, and don't just analyze it with your mind, but sing it with your heart. What an incredible daddy. I'm looking at the sons and daughters of God. Some of you I've known for many years, some of you I just know, but a whole lot of you look at me and say, Dave, I remember the time I heard the truth. I remember the time that I believed in Jesus. I remember that time when in my heart I trusted in him. And oh, I want you to hear today, you're God's children. Relish that position. You're forgiven. So don't, don't revel in your guilt or don't be destroyed by your guilt. Let the forgiveness of Jesus flow through your life. Maybe you just lost your job and you feel like all of life has ended. It hasn't. Because you've got a position in heaven. And one day, your heavenly daddy will make all that feeling of I lost my job and I'm not worth anything and have I accomplished anything. It'll all disappear. Because it's not the story about us. It's the story of his grace. But the incredible thing is the story of his grace includes me. And it includes me loving and enjoying the love of God forever and ever and ever. So far more than a good friend inviting you to go on a trip with him, your heavenly daddy has invited you to spend eternity with him. He's totally paid the bill in his son. And he's done a lot more than send an airplane ticket. He sent the third person of the Trinity to seal you as his possession. Just like a, an ancient letter was sealed in wax. This belongs to the person that sent it. And just like we give a deposit, the Holy Spirit was given as a deposit to live in my life. If you've trusted Christ, that deposit is present in your life. Revel in that. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would realize that predestination is not a word of cursing, but it's a word to sing. And I want to ask you, Lord, this morning that you would help us to, whenever we hear the word predestination, chosen, redemption, sealed by the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that from now on out, we'll remember Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and following. And I want to begin to sing about the love of my Savior forever and ever. I'd ask you, Lord, that if there be a friend here that's never opened their heart to Jesus, if this is, maybe this is the first time they've heard 
that they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of them, not because they work hard enough or pray through or discipline themselves, but just by trusting in the work of Jesus and what he did on on Calvary. I pray, Lord, that even now that they will open their heart to Jesus, that they will receive his grace, and that they will enter into all this joy. Help them not to have the response Well, I don't think I was chosen. I'm angry because God didn't include me. Help them to realize that if they'll just open their heart, if they'll just receive his love, if they'll just receive that eternal ticket that will last forever and ever and ever, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus, that they will find out that they were in your heart. We don't understand how all this works out in eternity and how it all works out now, but Lord, help us not to wait till we have it all figured out before we enter into the blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com.